pickle 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 it is november 9th you'll be seeing this on november 10th we've got our next edition of pelotero pickle chris how are we doing today delightful robert how are you doing pretty good doing pretty good uh no baseball which is kind of sad at least on tv feels like a like a void in my life but deal with it japanese league still going on i talked to uh Andrew Alberts, left-handed pitcher extraordinaire, Canadian left-handed pitcher extraordinaire. You can random if you if you have cable right now, you can randomly click through your cable, and there's this one station that plays NPB Nippon professional baseball games with no audio, and you just hear the the you know fans in the stands. But he also told me they have fans in the stands, but they're not allowed to chant at the game. So like normally it's really loud there. So they can make noise, but I don't think they're allowed to make noise with their mouths, which is weird. <laughs> so, so that's a COVID thing. They don't want to be projecting COVID over anything. Yeah, I'm guessing. I, I haven't I haven't really taken a long hard look at the stands, but you can tune into the uh, NPB playoffs if you really need some baseball. Well, aren't they big into the what are the inflatable things that you bash together? Yeah, the, they're the inflatable things that you bash together. What are those called? I don't even know what those are called. Glow sticks. Huge. I don't know. WBC 2013. Those were huge. Yeah. Winter ball. Yeah. Uh, all right. You ready? Let's jump into the topics. Tony LaRussa announced as the manager for the White Sox. Thoughts? It's great. I think he's a good manager. He's a really good manager. And if he wants to manage, you should be able to manage. Um, obviously, he's really good. Uh, I read some stuff the other day that I, I don't. I don't really fundamentally understand why people get so upset at things until they play themselves out. Right. And, and not to mention, uh, from what I understood, this was a, pretty much like a Reinsdorf decision, right? He ultimately is the owner of the team, so he could do whatever he wants basically. Like, and that would be my general rule of thumb. If somebody owns something and they want to do something with it, you know, short of it hurting or like morally, affecting anyone else then they have the right to do that if you don't like that tony larusso is the manager of the team then you should probably buy the team and then you can hire hire whoever you want right like well i think major league baseball has some hiring slash interviewing protocols in place that are supposed to be followed as part of the franchise and that sounds like that was not followed so there's some some controversy there uh there's some controversy around comments that larusso had made a few years ago surrounding the kaepernick protest um and the just the roster makeup of the current White Sox team would not be uh conducive to people non-supporting of what Kaepernick was doing. This is not a disrespect the flag issue, but failing to understand what Kaepernick was doing and making comments in a very, I'll say disparaging way. I've read also that he's had uh was it Bruce Maxwell, the catcher for the A's that was the first baseball player to kneel? Yeah. Uh, Bruce Maxwell gave him two thumbs up, said he's good to go. They've had conversations. He's learned. So it's, if you're, if you're judging somebody by something that's happened in the past or not even giving any consideration for change, that's not good. Uh, The whole hiring without following protocols set forth by the league and the franchise, that's an issue. I think it's going to be interesting. He's super old school guy that the, he did, he did manage Ricky Henderson and the Bash brothers, and that team was loud. Eccentric. Yeah, they were loud. So we'll see. 
Hey, you know what's funny is we're in the sixth minute of the show and Pickles already gotten political. And I, it's weird because the whole landscape of the world is political right now and everybody wants there to be controversy behind everything. And we just, we, as a society, I feel like it's now people's, I think they feel like it's their civic duty to create controversy behind, you know, you flip the coin and the coin didn't go high enough in the air. So like when it fell, it didn't bounce right. Look, you know, things like this have been going on for hundreds of years. And I just think people are more informed and everybody wants to have an opinion. And I think, frankly, nobody really cares what anybody's opinion is. I don't even know why people care what my opinion is. And I don't think they do. I just, you know, I'm open to, to talk about it if people want to know it. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, you know, people have rights to make decisions based on whatever they want. America, first and foremost, has been a free country for a long, long time. And, and you're allowed to have whatever opinion you want. And I don't think there should be anything wrong with that. And, you know, from my perspective, if if Jerry Reinsdorf wanted to hire Tony La Russa, he should be allowed to hire Tony La Russa. And it's not like we're talking about like he took a little league coach from down the street, like Johnny's dad is going to coach the White Sox. Like this guy's a pretty good manager. Um, been around the game for a long time. Obviously, you know, he, his reputation precedes him, speaks for itself. So as a sheer baseball move and like what Tony LaRusso is capable of doing, I mean, he was in a world series as early as I want to say, what was it? 2011 or no 20, what year the Red Sox beat the Cardinals. They beat him twice. Didn't they? 2013. He was in the world series. Tony LaRusso was the manager of the Cardinals. So it's not like, you know, we were that far removed. And obviously I, I don't think beyond, you know, a couple things here and there and, and, I feel like it's just it's hard because like everybody's got something in their closet that you know they're not proud of or certainly a mistake they've made and and at the end of the day like you know I, you know short of hurting someone else you're allowed to have an opinion about whatever you want I, I don't I don't know like I have a hard time with stuff like that because when it, when push comes to shove we're talking about like going to be a baseball manager and I get it I mean talking about a young team a lot of Latin American players like but that doesn't mean on an individual basis that he won't be able to connect with those guys. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, you're kind of blending into topic two, but we need to touch on Alex Cora first. Back to the Red Sox. Uh, I think it's formally announced, but Alex Cora's back was out for a year due to the cheating scandal with the Astros. I think I know where you'll go with this, um, but we'll see. Um, he seemed to be the guy I had I had gotten reports that he wasn't going to be the guy, but ultimately he is. So, what do you what do you got on Cora coming back being being in baseball? Because AJ Hinch is back with the, he's now the manager of the Tigers. Um, I've heard some stuff about Carlos Beltran in the for the Mets with the new ownership there. What do you got on Cora? I'm just hashtag sad. This is a good time for the sad face emoji with the little tears because you know I. I'm just biased. I'm a partial to Sam Fold guy. And I know he was very much in the running. Um, New England guy, Stanford guy, had a relationship with Haim Bloom. But by the way, I just out of curiosity, how do you get Haim from C-H-A-I-M? I think right. the C is silent. Well, yeah, I get that. But still, H-A-I-M. I don't know how to pronounce it. If you had asked me to say his name first. Yeah, I would, I would have not said Haim. I would have said I, sh- I, sh- I, shame. Yeah, I text Sam and I said... I wrote Haim how I thought it would be spelt. So like H-A-Y-E-M. And then I wrote his actual name and I, cause it was like the phonetic version. But um, anyway, I'm just hashtag sad. Sam didn't get the job. Look, in terms of Alex Cora coming back, 
really not a not a bad decision at all by the Red Sox. Like he won the World Series in Boston, was well respected by the players. You've got some carryover in Bogart's endeavors who really started to grow up under Alex Cora as the manager. So obviously they have a special bond with them. Like it, it's really not like it wasn't going to be a bad choice no matter who they picked. Um, ultimately, the the drama that gets created is all it's all fabricated because nobody really knows what's going on in that room. Nobody really knows what his relationship with the players is like the same way. I'm not in a position to judge anybody's relationship with their parents because I'm not in the middle of it every day. Like it's just a bunch of opinions. Right. So I think Cora getting hired, there was no wrong move. Right. Cause only time will tell if the Red Sox can get back to being a good team. Now, obviously you got to have the horses to run the race and, I would venture to say that last year they didn't have a lot of the horses to run the race. Like they just, they missed, they were missing pieces on the mound. I think offensively they were capable. So like the manager's not going to go out there and throw pitches. So. So let's dig into this a little bit more. Like, what do you feel is the biggest impact of the manager and let's specifically at the major league level? Cause it's, I think it's different when you're a 12 year old. It's not like, I feel like at that level, it's more man to man, like one adult to another adult when you're younger, even as like a high school player, it's still like a, it's a person of a different type of authority in your life when you're a teenager versus an adult at the, at the major league level or just across professional baseball in general, what are the biggest things like the unknown things about managing in the big leagues and the relationship between player and manager? Like how is it different as you get older? Yeah, without a doubt, it it is so much more about the relationship you have with your player than it is about anything else. It's certainly not about managing the game because there is no managing the game anymore, a short of taking pitchers in and out, which is, I think, why Cash probably caught so much, you know, crap after the, the Snell move, because really I think that's the only man, that's the only move a manager makes during a game that actually matters. Pinch hitting, to me, doesn't matter. Uh, you know, creating matchups, ultimately, whatever. It's the guy that takes a pitcher out and puts or leaves him in, and then everything else is a response to that because – you know, that's the only decision you make. You don't bunt, you don't hit and run, you don't steal. Like guys that steal in the big league steal on their own every time. There's no, there's no signs. Literally there shouldn't be signs. So, you know, what, what makes a great manager? So I think we reverse engineer it, right? We have to say, okay, who, like, who has had constant success as a manager in the game? And LaRusa is one of those guys. So obviously like he captured the room realistically like you just have to capture the room and what that means is and it's weird because you still have to maintain like you have to create accountability for guys right but at the same time like understand each individual personality and how you're going to get them to maximize their own performance based on the way you interact with them or you treat them so like if you there's so many double standards right like if you have the mvp on your team like you have to be a little bit more forgiving of his personality and some of the eccentric exuberant things that he might do. Um, and at the same time, like when you have some younger players on the team and I, I'll point to Brian Snicker, who I've got to know pretty well uh, over the last couple of years. And, you know, you got a talent like Ronald Acuna. And I, when I saw Snit last time was after Acuna last year had, he had pulled him on a lineup a couple of times for some bat flip type situations that on non homers. And, I told him, I was like, man, kudos to you for doing that because you have to set the bar somewhere. 
like you have to set the bar and, and it helps when you can do it with like one of your star type players. And it's really hard to do that stuff with veteran guys. And ultimately you have to find the right mix of personalities in the clubhouse to be successful. Like I think the best managers I've ever had are the most personal, right? The guys that, the guys that make it personal, that get to know you and, and see into your soul. And then ultimately really, it feels like they care. It feels like they want to help. And the one story I'll tell to that point, um, John Gibbons, right? It's my second game with the Blue Jays. I just gotten called up in May. Um, you know, I had a pretty good first game, had a couple hits. Uh, my second game, I'm three for three going in my last at bat. And we're beating the Yankees, I think it was six to two or something like that in the eighth inning. So we're at home. Looks like the game's locked up. And uh, I walk over to the bat rack to get my stuff. Now, John Gibbons theoretically shouldn't care whether I get my fourth hit or not, right? Like, it's not going to matter as long as we win the game. And uh, Gibby kind of looked over to me and goes, hey, stay greedy right here. And that's all I really understood was the stay greedy part. But um, when he said that, it was it was so belligerently obvious to me that he cared. Like, he cared about my bat. And even just the fact that he was paying attention enough to know that I was three for three and that it would be a very easy situation to give up that fourth at bat and just kind of, like, not – take it as seriously and I remember being in the on-deck circle I'm like man like he really cares if I get a hit here and as much of that at bat was for him as it was for me and when you can play for something bigger than yourself like it takes you to a different level dude like there's no there's no question about it that's how guys like outperform what they're predicted to be in the game and I'll, I'll never forget, I was in that ball. I had like a seven, eight pitch at bat, and I ended up getting my fourth hit. And I remember getting a first, and I wanted to give Gibby a hug. Um, so that's the stuff that matters. Like guys like Terry Francona, I uh, got a chance to be around him a lot. And it's, it's so obvious that they care about their players, and they're going to do whatever they have to do to understand guys' personalities to help them the best they can. Yeah. There was a quote that I saw on Twitter recently. It's uh, John Gordon, who's an author of some pretty big-time books in the business world. Uh, he said, without great communication, negativity fills the void. And I thought that was a really, I, I took that to heart. Um, I historically have not been the best communicator, so I'm trying to get better at that. Um, the, the idea that, you know, negativity filling the void to me related to baseball, helping players understand their roles where, you know, for you specifically with the, with the Blue Jays, they had smoke coming in as, kind of a defensive replacement late in the game. You would you you should take that personal. You should be angry about that as a competitor, as a as a ball player, as like somebody who wants to be on the field. Uh situations like that, whether it's like you're DHing for the day, maybe you're not in the lineup. You know, one of the hardest things I ever felt as a player was showing up to the field not knowing if my name was going to be in the lineup. That's like the hardest thing I've ever dealt with as a player. That was my second year in Worcester. Um I just didn't know like every day I got to the field, I just didn't know. And uh, I'm curious, you know, that was just independent ball, which is still professional baseball, but it's not the big leagues. It's not like real life changing money. It's not, you know, on the grand stage with a billion people tweeting at you every day. Um, communication at that level in terms of roles specific to you, how was that handled, I guess, and pros and cons? This, this is like thing. my favorite thing that you've ever said um, or brought up. And it's such like a, a great point because, and here's, probably part of the reason of that I am the way I am. Right. I've always had a tendency. And by that, I mean, just, I talk a lot. Um, I've always had a tendency to like my mind races all the time. So 
conceptually when when something happens i go to all the places that you could possibly ever imagine going like i'll connect like 20 dots that aren't even you know third fourth fifth level like i'll go down that road a long long way so when i don't know when i don't know where somebody stands i can i can make some stuff up <laughs> like i can i can get to some places and i would say that was kind of the tendency that i had early in my career when i was in minnesota and I, I would always be thinking about what does it mean if I'm not a lineup or what does it mean if I'm getting pinch hit for or whatever. And dude, you know, you can go to some dark, dark places. <laughs> and when your mind goes to those dark places and to your point about 2007, the way you felt like, dude, that's scary stuff. And when, when guys don't know where they stand and, and this is part of like the balancing act of being a great manager in the big leagues is like, you've got to get a guy to understand and appreciate how to be, the 10th, 11th, 12th man off the bench. Right. And I think the best managers do that. And you hear stories about like, I, I remember the story about Eduardo Nunez the year uh, the Red Sox won the world series. Cause he hit the big Homer off, came off the bench hit the big Homer. And the night before Cora had sent him a text saying like, Hey, you're going to have a huge moment tomorrow night late in the game. Off I think, of, he, off I think he told him if this guy comes in, you're, you're getting in that bat. Yeah. And so like just, the exact thing played out and he, he got his moment and then he went deep and yeah. And that stuff, that stuff's not accidental, dude. Like it's not, it's not an accident when, when you can help guys understand it, even just going up to a guy like who's an everyday player and sliding up to him and being like, Hey, you got the day tomorrow. Like just when he needs it or when you think he needs it, or even if you don't think he needs it and you need that spot in the lineup to get somebody else in the game. Like you, you mentioned the the whole thing with me in Toronto, like if that year didn't earn me the right to just show up and be in a lineup every day, like, cause that's all I ever wanted to do. Like I just wanted to go to the field and play 162 straight. Like I didn't know anything else. Right. And nobody convinced me of the fact that I was incapable of that. Right. Like nobody's to this, to this day, nobody's ever convinced me that it's impossible to do that. Like people want to say, Oh, you wear down and this and that. I'm like, dude, like you can tell me that you think I'm worn down, but I can tell you that I'm not. So where, where do we stand? You know, like you can look at some metric or some number or some, some predictive stuff. And I'm like, like, that's just not the case, but as a player, you can be way more accepting of that. If, if it comes from the right place where it's like, Hey, you know, Hey, we've been going through a grind. We got a big stretch coming up. Like, you know, don't even take BP, just hang out. Don't change your shoes. Like come to the field and just put your uniform on. You're not like, you're not going in like basically like wear your street clothes underneath your uniform if you want or whatever. And that's so valuable to me. Right. Like, and if I'm, if there was anything you wanted to do as a manager, that's it. Have the ability to communicate with your players. Because if you, if at least if you're on the surface and, and you don't lie, like don't lie because people will see through it. And then once you get caught in it, it's like nobody will ever trust you again. So it's just so simple to me. It's like, Hey, let's like, let's get it out there. Whether you like it or not, like at least it's out there. I can't say I didn't say it, you know? Yeah, there was uh so quick story, Bob Tewksbury, the other Bob Tewksbury, sports psychologist, Bob Tewksbury. I was BT1. There. Yeah. BT1. So he, uh, when I, he was my host dad for a summer and there was one thing going on. I, I honestly think it was about a girlfriend or something at the time. And it was like summer ball or whatever. And, he just said, I remember, I'll never forget. He's like, we build things up in our mind to be way bigger than they are. Like, just deal with it. And then it's over. Don't, don't let it stay there and, and build and percolate and just be, become something that it's not just address it. It's, it's not as big of a deal as you think it is. And just, then you can move on. 
but when you hold it inside, it's, uh, it's tough. So like, if you're a player that needs to talk to your coach, instead of like going to bed every night being like, Oh, I don't know what, I don't know where I stand. Like, just go talk to him, just bring it up, address it. It's way easier to deal with. Um, there was a TikTok. I love TikTok. It's awesome. TikTok, man. So there was a TikTok that I saw the other day. That I loved. I absolutely loved it. And it was just this woman just talking about the, the whole thing was choose your hard, and that like not being in the lineup is hard, and not talking to your coach is hard. So just pick the one you want to deal with because they're both hard. Like you going to the field every day not knowing if you're in the lineup is is very hard. Talking to the coach might be perceived as hard. So like, which one is, which one are you going to deal with? Cause they're both hard. And I just, I thought it was a really good, like choose your heart. It was just a really good message and knowing that it's a choice for how you feel about it. It's like, if the coach isn't communicating with you, take it upon yourself to communicate with that coach. Cause the coach is dealing with a thousand things too. You know, they're for Alex Cora to send a message to Eduardo Nunez the night before, like that's a really good manager understanding what that guy's feeling and thinking about and prepping him for the next day. Like he he remembers what, yeah. He remembers what it's like to be a player. And I mean, Cora was like a part-time guy too. So he, he, he knows the feelings like Alex Cora was a utility player his whole career, but that's why like they always say like, you know, catchers make the best managers. I, I make the argument that Alex Cora makes a great manager because he understood that role the same way. I think Sam fold very much would have understood it. Cause he, like he wasn't a guy that it, the game just came easy to him. Like it's not the guy that just showed up at the field, hit three thirty every day, and like, you know. Tell you what, I played against Sam Fold one time in Legion Ball. The game looked pretty easy to him back then. <laughs> the most intimidating five foot six dude I've ever played against. It was- it's because his head is big. He's got a huge head. Not like there's a lot in it. He's got, just got a big dome. Oh, he's pretty smart. He's a pretty smart guy. Yeah, Stanford. Stanford. Wicked smart. Love Sam. My, my, so I was playing shortstop. He had just hit a double, and I didn't. I didn't know who he was. He played in prep school, so I didn't. I never played against him. He was a lot. I mean, a lot older than me. I think I was a sophomore. He was a senior. So he hits a double. He's like lighting us up in the tournament, and he gets on second base. And I'm like, hey man, like, what's your what's the deal? Like, where do you go to school? He's like, oh, I went to Phillips Exeter, but I'm going to Stanford next year. I was like, Stanford, like Stanford, Stanford. And he's like, yep. And then he stole third base, like within like mid sentence Super like, Sam. who is this guy it was unreal uh next topic let's move on swing kings who is the current who has the best swing in baseball right now producer patrick says this can be the best swing or best pure hitter if it's the best swing hitter in baseball is the championship belt then who has it and who did they dethrone i like i like that should we make a pelotero like best hitter belt and ship it out to somebody that would be fun yeah does it have to be like the wwe belt? but i want to go with like a cool one it's got to be either like the pink one it was like the women's title they made a lot of belts in the wwe um you go for I, I, dude I'm, I'm curious to see who you say i'm so it's a really tough question i don't know that there's like one guy in baseball right now that i'm like I had a I had a pretty big swing crush on Albert Pujols for a long time. Uh, I don't. There's not a guy right now that I feel like I have a swing crush on. So I've been studying Fernando Tatis Jr. a lot. He's got some really, really cool moves. Um, I wish I liked Trout swing from like an aesthetic standpoint. It's just kind of hard. His swing's kind of harsh. I wish I could say Trout, but I can't. Um, 
It's a tough question. Who's the guy? The uh, Jimenez on the on the White Sox is no Lewis Robert is Lewis Robert. Sorry, Ronnie yeah, Smith. but Eloy's got some good stuff going on yeah, too. Yeah. It's, just, it's more, it's uglier. It's just yeah. yeah. Eloy Eloy's a better hitter than Lewis. Yeah. Uh, right I'm, now, Tatis Jr. Right now is my favorite guy to study. So that I don't know if that's the best way to answer the question, but he's got some cool stuff going on. Really cool moves. It, it from there. You know what's funny about this? I was talking about hitting with somebody two days ago, and we're talking about like uh, that whole list of twenty hitters that hit the ball harder than everybody else. And there was like no, there were like three guys on that list that I would put on my team. And then I was like, dude, and I was like, Yelich isn't on there, and Trout's not on there, and you know whoever else. And they were like Mookie, and I was like, yeah, Marcus. I forget about Marcus all the time. Like, there's no, there's no. To me, there's no better combination of hit ability and swing ability. Um, and now, granted, I think he's allowed to do some things with his body just because of his flexibility and, and whatnot. But, I, like, the more I watch it, the more I like it. Um, and I think it, it it's all combined with, like, his presence and knowing him and knowing a lot of people that are, like, close with him and – it's him, man. Like to me, it's just him. And I, I don't think I can say anything more or anything less to change that. Yeah. It goes beyond numbers and just the metrics of it all. <clears throat> that list of uh, hardest hit balls is funny. It's like, I just think a lot of people are focusing on things. I heard a story yesterday, a major league organization sent out fungos to their players. And if they're watching, then clearly I'm talking about you, this organization. <laughs> Um, they sent out fungos to their players with lead tape so they could create their own overload underload bats. And I, I just thought it was hilarious that the kid in particular that I know that got the fungos, like any bat speed gains that are meaningful are going to happen in the weight room. He just needs to be stronger. And it's like, why, <clears throat> why did you go through the trouble of sending your entire minor league system like 32 inch fungos for an underload bat? Like, it's what weird. Are doing? What are we doing? I just like, always, so like people ask me about the overload underload thing. Bat speed. I just used to use a bigger bat in BP, like all the time. Like my whole life, I used a heavier bat in batting practice than I was it's, supposed it's to. A, it's the overload underload principle. It's like we were doing this in 2008. Like we had custom bats made yeah. that were like a 33, 33. It's like plus three, minus three from your game weight. There's yeah. this old Russian study. It's like, it's not new. And not also cool. you used to, you were the first person I saw ever measure a batted ball speed with a stalker gun. Like you, we used to take flips. Remember there was a, Somebody asked me about that. And I was, it was like 2009, 2010 at the yeah. stalker, but we couldn't flip the ball more than 40 miles an hour. Cause if you flip the ball over 40, yeah. it would pick up the ball, ball exit velocity. Mike's going to like that. Yeah. Ball exit velocity. Yeah. We, it was a jugs gun. We did, we couldn't afford a stalker. Jug. Oh yeah. Jugs. It's cheaper. But uh, yeah, I mean, capturing data is good, but then like you see limitations to it when you do it. Um, but like at the professional level, if you go down that list, I, maybe I'll do this later do a article or something about it, but check like the, the height and weight on all the people on that list. Yeah. It's like, if you, if you find a, a dude that's, you know, five, nine, 140 on that list, study that guy. I want to know what's going on with that body yeah. as opposed um, to like the Aaron judge cyborg avatar. Speaking of that, um, going back to the Marcus thing, I'm uh, Francisco Lindor, like significantly overlooked in, in, uh, in the swing world. Really oh, like Jose it. Ramirez. 
Yeah. Well, Hosey's, yeah. I mean, he's the man. Like, he's uh, a little waddle. It's him. It's Jose Ramirez, Jose Abreu. Uh, who's a who's a third one in the AL for uh, MVP? I forget who the third one is, but I haven't looked. Jose Ramirez sleeper. He had kind of a slow start this year. I, th- I think we looked that up at one. He had a really slow start, and came then he on hot, hit a billion. Yep. Uh, all right. Next, we got a tweet. The movement creates the data. Did you see? Well, you were leading tweet? right into this. Did you see the Did you see the tweet? I did. I actually look at the topics now because Patrick yelled at me one time. <laughs> and now I want to just, I, all right, the way to get me to do something is obviously like call me out and be like, talk you, trash, you yeah. do this. Now I do it to spite you. I don't, producer Patrick, I don't do this because you want me to. I do it to spite you because I want to be like, yeah, I freaking looked. All right. So Randy Sullivan, Florida Baseball Ranch, does a great job. Wes McGuire is one of their pitching coaches down there. Talking about, and this like feeds directly into what Pelotero is all about, right? It's creating context to understand why things are happening to make better changes, to make faster changes. So the movement creates the data, like my initial reaction to it. And our boy, Joey uh, responded, the data, First doesn't response. Create the data. Um, yeah. I mean the, so much of baseball right now is looking at metrics just in a silo, like, in a vacuum. It's just like, here's the metrics, make a decision off that. And that is absolutely crazy. The, uh, the, the, the I got to What's the exact word again? The movement creates the data. Like no kidding. What, what, and then what else is involved? So like the example here is that the player was, you know, focused on spinning the ball versus not spinning the ball, like focusing on the spin for one player might work better. Focusing on the lower half for another player might work better. If you're not creating the ability to analyze that when you're looking at your data, then what are you even looking at? It's crazy. I was talking about um, developing a pitching assessment and it's like, all right, we're going to throw fastballs. We're going to assess your fastball and we're going to look at your biomechanics. Right. And then you take like 10 pitches and you just merge them all together. How, what are you doing? If you don't know, like, Hey, we're going to try to throw fastballs to the outside corner. We're going to try to throw fastballs to the top of the zone. We're going to throw fastballs to the inside corner. Like there's going to be changes going on there that are important. It's, and it's not just like you, we need to know why you missed versus why you made a good pitch. If you're just trying to throw the, trying to throw the ball as hard as you can. And you're just looking at metrics of like, throw as hard as you can. Great. Then you can, I guess you could group those together. It's just, there's a lack of context that if you don't know what somebody's trying to feel, if you don't know what they're trying to execute, if you don't know the goal and the intent, then you can't really break it down effectively. I got an interesting phone call uh, two nights ago, late. It was last night or two nights ago, two nights ago. It was late, right? It's a West Coast call. Brock Stassi, randomly. Cece, what do you got on this? And he's like, where does rotation come from? And I was like, what? <laughs> like, can I have context? So he was, he's helping out with a NAIA school out by where he lives in, in Northern California. And he's like, where does, you know, rotation come from? Top half, lower half, this, that. And I said, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's, a weird, it's a weird, you start going down that rabbit hole. Yeah. It's weird. Like what, how do you walk? Yeah. Like <laughs> How do you how do breathe? You, how do you pick up one foot? It's like, well, you think about it and then your brain sends signals to your muscles and then 
Like when you were an infant and you started walking, your brain figured out that movement pattern. So now you don't have to think about it. So you start talking about like, where does movement, where does rotation come from? That's a, it's a, that's a rabbit hole right there. And we, and I said, can I have some context? I said, what, like, what's, what's your end game here? I said, what are you trying to get out of me? Like, what do you need from this conversation? Like, are you looking for something to give to your hitters? Like, like who's the hitter? What do they need? And like, he's like, no, 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 just like we're looking for a starting point. And I was like, Oh boy, this is dangerous. It's a hell of a starting point. Yeah. And I'm like, and then he was like, well, you know, you said something to me way back where you were talking about like sitting on the back leg. And so then like, listen to this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. And I was like, well, what about the guys that go forward? Like, what about the guys that don't sit on their back? Leg? It's like, yeah, but you got to get into your hip. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to be into your hip? I was like, are you talking about like, you know, making sure that the pelvis like turns and that like, you know, your back butt cheek is turned back. And I was like, I was like, and then for the guys that go forward, do they do it with in their back hip? And like, it just, this rabbit hole opened up. So the point I'm trying to make is I said, dude, like, can we like, just, we have to reverse engineer things better in baseball. Like we have to like go backwards. Like we have to like think about what the outcome that we want is and then figure out how to create it. And to that point, like I had a talk with one of our college hitters, I think yesterday. And he said to me, he goes, I've been having trouble hitting the ball the opposite field. And he's really good at hitting the ball the opposite field normally. And he goes, but yesterday I felt like I started pushing my hands forward and I was creating the outcomes I want. And I was like, so either number one, your definition of pushing your hands is wrong. Number two, you are pushing your hands, but you're doing it at a point where like now you're allowed to, like you've already set the, the, the plane of the bat. And from there you can push all you want because maybe push is take you through the baseball. Ted Williams said the swing is a hard push swing. <laughs> so like, what are we talking about? Like, dude, if it works, if you rake, cool. Like if you don't rake, change it. Like, I can't stand when people call me and they're like, yeah, like I'm hitting like 600, but, but. like I, I missed this pitch and I'm like, all right, tight. Like, do you want to hit 200 and hit that pitch? Like what is like the, the entire objective of like a swing change for us when it all started was like, get more hits. It wasn't like have a better swing. It was get more hits. So can we just go back to that? Like, cause baseball is about not making out. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of kids think they need permission to think something, which is crazy to me. Like, am I allowed to like that kid that you just talked about? Am I allowed to push my hands? Like, yeah, dude, do whatever you got to do. I think it's always important to understand what you think and feel. And then also compare that to the video of what's actually happening. That's been my, so I used to talk about that with pools all the time. Pools, there's a video of our pools on MLB.com saying, I take my hands to the ball. No, he says, and, I take uh, the ball to the ball and uh, he says, Enga. Right. So how do you reconcile him saying that? Hold on. I got a Wi-Fi share request from Ryan Goins right there. What up, Gogo? Ryan Goins is in right the office there. right now. He's over there next door. Um Maybe we'll try to pull him in. The door's locked. He doesn't have the code. Uh, so our pool says, I take the knobs of the ball. And then he blatantly does not take his hands to the ball. Like he does everything else first. And if he, he might feel like he's taking the knob directly to the ball. If I take the knob directly to the ball, I will actually objectively, literally take my hands directly to the ball, chop straight down and take a terrible swing. 
I don't understand how people can't like Jim Tomey loves the swing on a, on a mound downhill thinking about getting on top because Jim Tomey's elbow would slot like crazy, create a big loop in the swing because that's a flat. And his shoulder plane was probably typical. And he's leaned back with a big elbow slot. So he's going to swing straight up. So he has to think swing down. This is a moving target and that's okay. That's, that's the the deal. That's what we signed up for. So people get like how it's crazy to me that when, when players are like, am I allowed to think this or they think they're disappointing you by being like, Hey, so I tried this other thing and it's working. And it's like, that's awesome. Good job. Again, they think you're like, I'm going to be upset or offended by something. It's like, no, like figure out what works for you. All I'm trying to do is help you accelerate that experimentation process, figure it out, find what works. That's, that's the goal. Not to make me happy. All right. Next topic. And Patrick, I want to talk about internal versus external cues. Patrick, let's punt that because I can go on. We're going to, this episode will be way, so too, get long. Long. way too long if we start going into Punt. Uh, off-season entertainment. This is this is going to be a big topic. Oof. So movie rankings, baseball moving rate, movie rankings. We had to talk about this pre-show. There's a lot going on. Um, let's get just off the top. Baseball movie that should not be watched. Oof. Because then we can just go yes or no after that. Baseball movie that should not be watched? Yep. How do you know? Patrick tried to imply that how do you know is a baseball movie when it's really like a I've little love story with uh, with uh, Owen Wilson and Paul Rudd. It's not a baseball movie. It's not a baseball movie. But, yeah, maybe don't watch it. Unless you like love stories, if you want to watch like a cute little love story. And I don't even think it's good at that, but... So Google, Google. I just did a Google search um, for baseball movies. I'm gonna go. There's three. Fever Pitch, j- primarily because they went on the field after the Red Sox won the. World Not World. a baseball movie. And they ruined. They like they're in the stands and they they actually had to change the script of the movie because the Red Sox actually won. Terrible movie. Yeah. Trouble with the curve. Really tough to watch. Just tough to watch. That would be like me saying anger management is a baseball movie because at the end. Sandler is on the field with uh, what's her name? Uh, Marissa Tomei. Is that her, who it is? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so we got, yeah. And then I'm going to say um, major league back to the minors. Just, I think you have to watch it. You have, if you're a baseball person, you have to watch it. You have to watch it. Cause it's a, fo- it's the follow-up to major league and major league two. You just have to watch it. Like it's going to be painful. Shark was jumping. We got, we got a shark jump going on. It's too much. Um, all right, now we're gonna go. Just do you can you rank your favorite baseball movies? Because I tried to, I tried to start with five and I ended up with like eight. I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. This is why it's hard. It's a yes or no, it's it's not a like, no, I'm I'm gonna teach everybody about how to rank movies. All right, this is big, this This is is how you rank monumental moment in pickle history. All right, so movie rankings work like this. You start out because you have a predisposition. Any movie that you're going to go watch, you have like a notion in your head of what it's going to be. It's either going to be bad or good. And let's say the sliding scale is one to 10, obviously, because that's the scale that everybody uses. Uh, You're going to put a number on your pre-movie ranking, right? Like no matter what you do, you think something's going to be something. So it could be a four, it could be a seven, it could be a 10, nine, whatever. Like, and the example I always use is I Am Legend. And anybody that was in there like teenage to early twenties when I am legend came out like that movie got more pub on TV. Like they were like the best movie ever. And like, I'm thinking, Oh my God, Will Smith, this movie's going to be lights out. Best movie ever. 
So I went into it thinking like, it's going to be a nine. I left. I am legend thinking like, ah, that was like a six and a half. So if so facto, that's a net negative two and a half. So you rate movies by net ranking system. You don't have a gross ranking system. You have a net ranking system. So I am legend has a bad score. It's a net negative two and a half. Now, on the other hand, Pitch Perfect is my favorite movie ever because of the net ranking system. Went into it thinking it's going to be a two. That's like an eight or nine, bro. Like, so you're plus six, plus seven. You, there, it's hard to be plus seven. I think there's, the a, there's, a, sli- there's a, a bit of a flaw to your system. I feel like there needs to be some waiting because if you think a movie is going to be a seven and it exceeds expectations, that's got to be a pretty good movie. It's still only a plus three. If you can be a plus three. And I mean, now you could make a movie an 11. Like there, people always go like greater than 100%. So you can be a plus four. If you start out at seven, you can be a plus four. You can make it a 12. I don't care. There's no rules. You want to know what's crazy? If you type in baseball movies on Google, the first one that pops up is Million Dollar Arm. That's not even a baseball movie. It's a cricket movie. It's trouble. All right. So let's, all right. So let's rank it. Let's go. You go first. All right. Uh, we'll go with the movie 42. That's number one for you? No, I'm just going, I mean, Top five. I, I, I don't think I can give you like, I think for love of the game is probably my favorite baseball movie. Okay. So that's two. Let's just take your top five then. Uh, Major league is there little big league. Um, what am I? So, and I'm throwing in summer catch five. That's like 20% baseball, 80% Jessica Biel. You have, <laughs> you have three of my top five, I think. Little Big League, for sure. Good shout out to the Metrodome. I'm glad you shot from yep, the Metrodome. I'm here live today. at the Metrodome yeah. today. Um, little Big League's experience. awesome. Had the Little Big League experience uh, in Minnesota. Um, got that to tweet? meet. You got to find that tweet. Yeah, Patrick, uh, look that up. Luke Edwards, who was played uh, Billy Haywood on uh, 2014, got to meet him. Funny thing, I wore number 20. Billy Billy uh, Billy Haywood wore number 20. The manager before him was number 55. I was number 55 before that. So it was like weird. I was like, dude, I love a little bit. Great movie. Um, so that's one of them. For Love of the Games in there, uh, Kevin Costner is the man. Uh, Kevin Costner is the best baseball actor ever. I'm going to put both major leagues, one and two, in my top five. Um, and then, uh, I, you know, it's hard to say uh, – Mr. Baseball's not my top five because I thought the baseball side of it was really cool. Look at foreign baseball. Um, I think you said it before the show. It's binary. It's yes or no with baseball movies. And I I watch them all. Um, So how about this? Let's go like, could they crack your top five? Uh, Moneyball. Sure. Terrible baseball, but yeah. Yeah, I thought, I mean, I liked, I liked the movie. I mean, like, this is, I'm going to say the same thing about your Jessica Biel thing with Brad Pitt because, like, Brad Pitt's the man. Looking dude. Uh, bench warmers. Different. I, I, yeah, I mean, it's different. Like, it's I, 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 I'd wa- if you asked me to watch it again, I would. It, like, let's just go b- based on, like, would you watch it again? Okay. Bench warmers, I'm going to say probably not. I'll, I could go for, like, a YouTube highlight, like, funniest moments, yeah, but okay. not the whole thing. Uh, the rookie, Dennis Quaid, yeah. was hard. Yeah. I'd watch it again. Bad News Bears, the original. Nope. Bad News Bears, the new one. Nope. Sandlot. Yep. Sandlot 2. Nope. 
no chance. <laughs> let's 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 it's hey. hard no. <laughs> this is your... no. Uh, Mr. 3000 is an absolute yes. Summer catch, yes. Yes. Hard, no, Hard love in each day as if it's the last. That's the first time I got to know who Ronan Keating was, the music at the end. I thought that, love that song. Love in each like, day as if The negotiation, the whole like ending of the movie is so horrific. He leaves the perfect game, wakes up this, the guy, the closer that sleeps, wake him up. And then he likes driving down the road. The scouts follows him and he negotiates like, was it from 10? Better make it 75. Better make it 75. <laughs> So, better make it so 75 bad. so bad hey and no you know what the, like, oh, no you know what the best part about summer camp you gotta go watch this scene billy brubaker as he's coming up to bat at the end when he hits the looping liner terrible swing and all i can think of is the guy from scream billy brubaker is the guy from scream and he's like super eccentric but when he goes to slam the bat down and like have the donut come off it's already falling off the bat so and he still like slams it down <laughs> And I'm like, no. And then, how about when they're doing drills and they're tapping the ball up to each other? They need, they need like baseball ball? people on set for that. Oh my God. Miles Del Ripple. Wow. It's so uh, funny. Angels in the outfield. No. Sorry. Tony Danza. No. I don't know if I'd watch that again. Nope. It's, it's probably. I watched it a few times when I was young. I had it probably, on VHS. I wouldn't. That's like a that's a big time like baseball camp movie. The coaches just wanted two hours to do nothing, so they yeah. put on a camp a movie. Uh, rookie of the year, yes, funky butt loving, absolutely. Hey, hey, Patrick wants a thumbs up on this one. Yeah, uh, sixty one. Yeah, I'd watch it's it. A good one. It's pretty. I good. wouldn't go to it first. A league of their own. Yeah, watch that multiple times. Yeah, Field of Dreams. Yes. Yes, Field of Dreams. And Field of Dreams has to, I feel like it's in everybody's top five, but you almost, it's almost not a baseball movie. It's it's deeper than that. Yeah, like, I mean, it more. is a baseball movie. Yeah. Uh, Bull Durham, we, we obviously, um, Mr. Baseball. Yes. Yes. The Scout. I've watched it multiple times, but it, this is like a. So, funny story about The Scout. So, I mentioned earlier Bob Tewksbury, BT1 was my host dad so i'm watching this movie one time just hanging out the the final scene where he's pitching against the in the world series it's against the cardinals it was filmed during the strike in 96 bob tewksbury was the pitcher who gave up the home run to brendan frazier so i'm watching tv in the guy's house and i i look up and bob tewksbury throws a fake pitch. oh boy <laughs> his acting is so funny it was great. It was it was amazing. I'm like, I, can't I gotta go it. watch it for that now. Yeah, his speaking acting of, was amazing. Speaking of appearances in in uh, movies uh, or shows, for that matter, I on my 43rd run through of Silicon Valley, first episode of season two. Tyler they're Bieber. at AT&T Park, and who pops up? I remember seeing this live, or not live, but first airing, and who pops up? But Tyler Beatty is throwing live at. AT&T Park. Tyler Beatty was our bat boy when I played Worcester and his brother or his brother was our bat boy. Tyler would come and help out uh, a little bit. So I text Tyler. I'm like, dude, what are you doing in Silicon Valley? And I know his uh, also wife. like two time first round pick <laughs> major league pitcher with the, with the Giants Na- national <laughs> national champion at Vanderbilt. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a, little bit, um, a little bit more since being the bat boy. Yeah. No, no, no. But I mean, it's it's fine. So I, like, I text him. I was like, bro, you're in Silicon Valley. And he, you know, he, he's like, yeah, I can't believe you saw that. And his wife is like an actress. I think she does like has some roles. So, yep. um, and he, he was like, sorry, I can't really throw it any slower. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. 
It's funny. I think that's that's the majority of the baseball movies. Um, what was the one that I said to Patrick earlier? Before? The fan. The fan. Is that a baseball movie though? It's. Or is that like a murder mystery suspense thriller? Let me see if it's. Uh, it's a sports psychological thriller. So it's got that's. Oof. Exciting. Pretty exciting. Nice, nice tagging there. Yeah. So Patrick's a big movie buff. He's got to he's got to watch that. I I'm gonna go out on a limb and say we've missed a couple baseball movies. I don't know if we have. I've I mean, there's a couple, and there's one called Ed with Matt LeBlanc. Yep. I never saw that one. That came out. In Ed's the monkey. Yes. Yeah. I never saw that movie. I think I um, saw a little bit. There's of a it. couple that came up here. There's one called The Babe. I think is that John Goodman. John Goodman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, never one watched it. Tommy Lee Jones as Ty Cobb. Eight men, you, you didn't say Eight Men Out. Eight Men Out was is not in the Google search, but that's a good one. I think that that mostly covers it. All right, I think that wraps up. That was good. That was a fun fun segment there. Last thing, Patrick wanted hot take NFL hot take. Ooh, my guy Tommy didn't come with it last night, bro. He did not. Freaking Tommy. I, saw, I watched. Tommy I got watched worse. I watched the game for like. 30 seconds, Drew Brees threw a ball over 20 yards. I was shocked. It was really hard to watch the Tampa Bay football Buccaneers last night. And I usually would never say that about Tommy. It was hard to watch that game. Like, I watched the first two quarters with, like, full intent in the first half, and then, like, nothing changed. And then, you know, what's funny is they got, a they got like, a strip sack to start the second half. They were on the 20 – get the ball down to the goal line and go and like, don't score literally did not score from the one. Um, yeah. The bucket, the Buccaneers didn't come with it last night, bro. So it wasn't, you know, Tommy and Robbie weren't, you know, they just weren't on the same page, dude. You know, like that happens sometimes, you know, you want it to happen in the regular season and you just hope that it don't happen down the road and the playoffs is going to make it hard to win the division. Now, you know, the saints got them twice, but it's all right. Tommy will figure out how to do it. All right, that's the run. That's a pickle. I almost called the rundown. That's a pickle. Uh, thanks for joining us. We'll be back at it next week. See ya. Pickle. There we go. Patrick, how was Good that? Good time.